your seat if you haven't already. We are going to get started. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 12. We've had a few weeks away from our, our series on prime numbers, but we're getting back into it today, looking at these selected stories out of the book of Numbers. And, and our focus throughout this series has been on trusting in the midst of trials, trusting the Lord in the midst of trials, or how to handle trials properly. And today, we are going to see how pride destroys during trials, and that if left unchecked, it will lead to external actions that ultimately have very dire consequences. Now, before we get into our study this morning, I want to ask you a question, and that is, was there, you know, was there ever a time when, when you were growing up where you said something that, that maybe you didn't want your parents to hear, but they heard it anyway. I see some, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So maybe you didn't know, you know, they were right around the corner, and they were lurking right outside your bedroom door. You know, or on the flip side of that, parents, how many times have you heard something? Your kid said, and you were like, huh, didn't think I was listening, did you? Listen, I tell my kids all the time, live your life, just know that I will know. And I say, listen, I am going to stay prayed up, and because of that, God is going to get me any information that I need. And I believe that. I say that because I believe that, so kids beware. God is on your parents' side. But anyway, when, when something like that happens, or when, when something like that happened to you, what was the result? Well, in my house, both when I was growing up and today, the result of that scenario is typically swift and painful. But that's exactly the situation we find in our text this morning. Moses' siblings, his older brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, who were his partners in ministry, say some things that the Lord hears and disapproves of. And the results were quite swift and painful. But I believe there are some things that we can learn from this story in our own lives because we're going to see how God views what they did as rebellion. And, and that is something that he takes very seriously. So the title of our message today is The, Res the Root and Result of Rebellion. Because the truth is, Rebellion always starts somewhere. It has a root, but it always ends somewhere else, some place that, that we don't like and some place that we shouldn't be. So I want to look at it together. We're going to read the entire chapter of, of Numbers chapter 12. Uh, then we'll pause to pray and, and, and ask God to direct our time together. So, so look at it with me, Numbers chapter 12. Like I said, we're going to read this entire chapter. Verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and said unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. 
If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And a cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days. And after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people removed from Hazaroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you so much, and, and Lord, we're so grateful for the time that we have together this morning in your word. Lord, I ask you to direct it. I, I ask you to, 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 to remove me and to speak through me. Lord, I just pray that um, everything that's said today is true to your word. It's honoring to you. It's a sweet savor because, um, Lord, we know that you're hearing it. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that, that you'll be glorified in it. Lord, I pray for everybody here that's under the sound of, of your word, Lord, that they will honestly evaluate their own lives and, and what you have for them uh, even today. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have another you know, very interesting story out of the book of Numbers. We, we've seen a few of them already. We'll continue to see more. And like we saw last time in Numbers chapter 11, here we have people complaining and murmuring and upset. And this time is directed at Moses very directly and very personally. At least before, at least in Numbers chapter 11, the complaints were directed more at God very generally. They were upset about uh, their conditions, their food, their general dissatisfaction with their situation. But not this time. This time Moses is directly in the crosshairs. And even worse yet, as, as I mentioned in, uh, before I read the passage, it comes from his ministry partners and his siblings, Miriam and Aaron. And, and make no mistake about it, Miriam and Aaron's problem with Moses in this passage is rebellion against God. That is abundantly clear based upon God's response to them. And I know that rebellion is a strong word. It, it absolutely is a strong word. And since it is a strong word, it is something that we always need to be on the lookout for in our own lives. Because it is usually something that starts quite subtly. And it manifest itself in ways that even seem benign, but they don't end that way. And so what I'm going to show you in this passage are the realities of rebellion. I want you to see what is true, because even if you think that your complaints aren't that big a deal, they can become a very big deal quickly if you are not careful, because they can lead to rebellion if, you, if they go unchecked. And rebellion in any form is always a big deal. You should know that in your own house. Rebellion from your kids should be a big deal to you. 
for it is in God's house with his kids as well. And the first reality of rebellion that we find in this passage is that rebellion turns your disagreement into distrust. Rebellion turns your disagreement into distrust. Look again at verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? So here we see that, that Miriam and Aaron have a, have a problem with Moses. And the problem, as described in verse 1, is because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. Now, we'll get to the root in a minute, but that is the reason the Bible says they were upset. And that's all the detail we get. They didn't like Moses' wife. It could have simply been the fact that she was Ethiopian. There are many warnings throughout the Old Testament regarding Israelites marrying non-Jews. In fact, they were forbidden to marry a Canaanite in Exodus chapter 34, verses 12 through 16. But there was no law against Moses marrying an Ethiopian. So if this was their problem, there was no law against it. And those warnings, and even the law against marrying a Canaanite, that was all about that other person not caring about the God of Israel and therefore pulling them away from the relationship they had with him. It is the same reason that we've been commanded in the New Testament to not involve ourselves in an intimate relationship with someone not saved. Someone that doesn't have the same relationship with God that we have. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? So we've been given that command to not involve ourselves with unsaved people in, in a marriage, physical relationship. But again, there was no law forbidding Moses here. So I do want to be very clear on this issue. There was nothing wrong in and of itself with, with Moses marrying an Ethiopian. And we know it's not wrong because it obviously did not affect Moses' personal relationship with God. God counted him as a friend and spoke to him mouth to mouth or face to face as we read in, in Numbers 12 verse 8. So it's evident that God has no problem with it in this chapter, nor anywhere else in recorded scripture. So I just say that because I, I want you know, those that would use this passage or others like it to condemn interracial marriage today. That, I'm sorry, but that, that's a gross misuse of scripture. And the New Testament, it forbids us to marry an unsafe person. That's it. That's all 2 Corinthians 6 is talking about, not other races. In this scenario, it, it kind of reminds me of those old uh, Jeff Foxworthy jokes. You might be a redneck. You remember those? Uh -oh, I know you're getting nervous, aren't you? Yeah, maybe you should be. Um, you know, it's like if you, if you spend 40 hours a week at Walmart, but you don't work there, you know, you might, you might be a redneck. You know, or if, if you refuse to work on Garth Brooks' birthday because you consider it a national holiday, 
you know, you, you might be a redneck. But in this case, it's if, if you believe that God condemns interracial marriage and that it's a sin, you might be a racist. <laughs> and if Aaron and Moses didn't, didn't like Moses' wife just because she was Ethiopian, well, man, that was their problem. You know, there would not have been cause for holy indignation there. So it could have been that, but it could, have been, it could have been anything else. It could have had nothing to do with that. Maybe they just didn't like her personality. Maybe they felt she was exerting more influence over, over Moses than they were able to. Who knows? The Bible doesn't say. But the point, the reason why I'm making all this, the point I want you to see is that this is something in which they disagreed with Moses. It wasn't a biblical issue. It wasn't sin on Moses' part. There was just something they didn't like. And what they, and, and what they did in, in response to their disagreement, I want you to see it. I want you to listen to this very carefully. In response to their disagreement, Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses instead of speaking to Moses. You see, if there was just something they didn't like and they cared about Moses, they should have spoke to him about the situation. But no, they just talked to each other or they talked to others about how bad Moses was. And you need to know this morning that if this scenario pops up in your life and the route chosen is that of gossip instead of just sitting down with the other person one-on-one, and having a discussion, then you've started down the road of rebellion. Because listen, you do not have to agree with every choice I make. I don't have to agree with every choice you make. But we are required to handle those disagreements biblically. And the best thing, honestly, is to simply not concern yourself with things that other people do that you don't like, But if that's not possible, at least be sure to talk to them and not against them. There's a clear biblical path here, and there are clear violations of that path as well. So Miriam and Aaron were upset with Moses because of his wife. But when they spoke against Moses, look at what they said. Verse 2, And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? That's very interesting because I assume you notice that while verse 1 says they spake against Moses because of his Ethiopian wife, when they spoke, they said absolutely nothing about his Ethiopian wife. They spoke about his authority. They spoke about the authority of Moses because that was really the root of their rebellion. That is what was in their heart. At least that's what Jesus says, because in Matthew 12, 34, we see this verse, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. See, they were upset about Moses' wife, but that was just a result of what was in their hearts all along. So this is where their disagreement turned to distrust. Because they were not trusting the Lord. 
and the man the Lord had chosen to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness. They thought, you know, what's the big deal about Moses anyway? I mean, look at the girl he married, for crying out loud. He can't be that smart. You know, God has certainly spoken through us too. I mean, Moses couldn't even talk to Pharaoh on his own. Let us leave and see how Moses looks then. And the fact is, God had spoken through them. The answer to their rhetorical question in verse 2, has God not spoken also by us? The answer to that was yes. God had. He'd spoken through them. He had used them in many ways. Miriam was a prophetess who led the Jewish women in praising God in Exodus 15, verses 20 and 21. The Bible says that Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. This is after they came through the Red Sea, and Miriam is leading the women in praise and called a prophetess. Aaron, the elder brother in the family, was appointed by God to not only assist Moses in confronting Pharaoh, he's also appointed by God to serve as the first high priest of the nation of Israel. You see that in Exodus 28. Back in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. This is a big position. Thou shalt, thou shalt speak all that I commanded thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. So everybody in Israel knew that Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were God's chosen servants and were sent by God as a team to lead that nation. Micah chapter 6, verse 4 says just that. It says, For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeem thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So everybody knew that. There was no mistaking that. But there was also no mistaking that Moses was the leader. So when they were questioning Moses regarding something they didn't like, something they disagreed with, not a sin, they were actually questioning God himself. It allowed their disagreement to turn to distrust. And like I said, the root was already there, but they allowed this disagreement to be the source that brought that root to life. And this is where we have to be careful, because again, we're, we're, in, the, we're in the church, it's a body of Christ, we're a family. We all do things that some other people may not like. We're all human. None of us are perfect. And that's okay. You can disagree. You just have to be careful what you do with that disagreement. Where do you let that take you? Because with Miriam and Aaron, rebellion sprung forth from that root that was in there. And rebellion sprung forth. And listen, that is the way it always seems to work. When people have a problem with God's authority. They don't just handle that personally, deal with it with the Lord. Then something is bound to happen. Something is going to pop up. And 
and the Ethiopian wife is going to pop up and she's going to say something or whatever. And when, whatever it is that's going to happen, whenever it happens, Satan is right there, man. He is right there. And the rebellion of Isaiah chapter 14 can rise up in that person's life. Because to me, Numbers chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 sound a little bit like Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 14. Which say, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, aren't I a pretty big deal too? I mean, I think I'm a pretty important piece in this as well. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And the rebellion was pride. And at the end of the day, it is always pride that leads to distrust of God and and distrust of God's authority structure. And just as a side note, when this rebellion pops up in a church or a ministry, many times it will affect and be directed at the leader's family. That's what we see with Moses. I personally believe that is one of the reasons why in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says that if you have the gift of singleness, for ministry purposes, is better than getting married. And, and we're not going to talk about that, but, but, but I think that's one of, one of many reasons. Because there's a lot of collateral damage in ministry, unfortunately. Because Satan plays dirty. And so do those with the Antichrist spirit of rebellion. And unfortunately, here in Numbers 12, that's exactly what we find with Aaron and Miriam. And and listen to this next sentence. Rebelling against the God that they had committed their life to serve. Because like I said, God had used them. God had spoken through them many times. But who cares? That's not the point. That is not the primary criteria for leadership anywhere in Scripture. What Lucifer, Aaron, and Miriam all displayed was pride and distrust. What God is looking for is exactly the opposite. And that's what he found in Moses, because instead of pride, he's looking for meekness. Numbers 12.3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. The word meek means humble and lowly. It's not weakness. It's power under control because you trust in the Lord. Because you're humble and trusting. So instead of pride... He's looking for meekness. Instead of distrust, he's looking for faithfulness. Numbers 12, verse 7, God said, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. That's why Moses was special. He was meek. He was faithful. So be like Moses. 
And don't allow your disagreement with someone that maybe God has put in authority over you turn to distrust of God himself. And if you happen to be the Moses in this story, know that God has your back. And, and please understand, understand what I'm saying. In everything I'm said, I'm not, not, not talking about a situation where someone, particularly someone in authority, is involved with or in sin. That's not this case here. That's obviously different than what we're talking about. Additionally, I am 100% not saying that leaders shouldn't be held accountable. They absolutely should be. And sin should be dealt with swiftly and severely. I'm just saying there's a way to do it. And there's a way not to do it. And being led by pride to, to, to be a part of rebellion is the way not to do it. Because if you have pride in you, beware. Because the fact is, God takes care of and he protects the meek and the faithful, the humble and the trusting. Psalm 31, verse 23 says, O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Psalm 38, verse 6 says, Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. James 4, 10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And we see those verses played out in our text this morning because Moses does not have to defend himself. God came to his defense. In fact, Moses doesn't say one word, but God has a lot to say. And that brings us to the second reality of rebellion. And that's rebellion turns God's attention into anger. Rebellion turns God's attention into anger. Look back at, at, at Numbers 12, starting at verse 2. Again, and they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And the th they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, he's, he's answering them. It's like, you know, aren't, aren't we prophets too? Hadn't he spoken through us? He says, you know, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision. I'll speak unto him in a dream. My, my servant Moses is not so. Moses is better than that. Who's faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then, were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Calls him his servant twice. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Now we're going to dive into a few details regarding this point. We're going we're to get to some interesting places, I think, before, before this one's over. But in doing so, I want to connect some dots for you by, by pointing out three phrases that we see in these verses. If you happen to be someone that takes note in your Bible, you should underline these phrases or highlight them and, and connect them. But the first phrase is, is what we see at the end of verse 2. While noting how Miriam and Aaron were speaking against Moses, the Bible says, and the Lord heard it. 
and the Lord heard it. So you have to know that the Lord always hears. He's always listening. But there are certain things that get his attention more than others. And rebellion is one of them. We saw this with the Israelites' rebellion in the previous chapter, Numbers 11, verse 1. It says that when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. The word displeased in Numbers 11.1 1, means that it was evil in the ears of the Lord. That's his take on it. And he hears it. He hears everything. He always has and he always will. In Ezekiel 35, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. It was the Edomites. And if you know anything about biblical history, you know that Esau is Edom. Esau is Jacob's brother, Israel's brother. These were mortal enemies to the nation of Israel. There are so many great prophetic pictures related to the Edomites, including the prophecy against them here in Ezekiel 35. But in verse 12 and 13 of that chapter, speaking on behalf of the Lord, Ezekiel says, And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, and that I have heard all thy blasphemies, which thou hast spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate, they are given us to consume. Thus with your mouth ye have boasted against me, and have multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. You see, the Edomites had spoken against God's anointed, against Israel. He said in verse 12, Thou hast spoken against the mountains of Israel. But in doing so, they spoke against the Lord. Because in verse 13, he switches it up, and he says, Thus with your mouth ye have spoken against me, and have multiplied your words against me. And this goes back to our first point. When you speak against something that God is doing, God's anointed, when they are innocent, it is speaking against God. And he hears it every single time. In Psalm 94, the psalmist makes a very strong pronouncement. Starting in verse 3, he says, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. But verse 8, understand, ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? I'm going to say it again because I don't think it can be emphasized enough. Everything we say, God hears. And rebellion will always get his attention. And we know that because of the second phrase I want to point out. That phrase is found at the beginning of verse 4. And the Lord spake suddenly. The rebellion against Moses, and and therefore the rebellion against the Lord, got the Lord's attention. And it evoked an immediate response. Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses, and so God spoke against them. 
And not only did he speak, he came down in the cloud to stand in the door of the tabernacle to declare judgment. And while this might not be the best type that you can find in the Bible, there is at least something in there that pictures the rapture of the church and the immediate judgment of the believer at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. But first, let's look at verses 4 and 5 one more time. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out, and the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. Now, now to start with, I just want you to notice the order of the names that you see in verse 4 versus the order that you see them appear in verse 1. In verse 1, we see Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. In verse 4, God gives you his order. And it was Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And you see what happened. God called out the three like he's going to call us out one day into the air. And he called out those three to the tabernacle. He spoke to two of them and he pronounced judgment on one. But in his speech to Aaron and Miriam, all God did was defend Moses. And in doing so, he described just how special Moses was. And Moses is one of those special characters in the Bible. There, there are a few of them. Because while he didn't get to go into the promised land, you know, proving he's still human and still flawed, he was more than a prophet. He was a friend of God, someone God spoke to mouth to mouth, or as he said in the first half of Exodus 33, 11, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto a friend. And Deuteronomy 34, 10, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was the one that, that, that our passage says saw the similitude of the Lord. He saw the Lord's back parts, as it says in, in Exodus 33, 23, because he couldn't, he couldn't see his front. No his face because of his glory would be consumed and so he, he saw a similitude of the lord so this is a special this is a spiritual character and and this message isn't a study of moses in fact this passage isn't even about moses at all but hebrews 3 verses 1 through 6 does compare moses to jesus christ and that is the point of all this because when God defended Moses, it was because who he represented and who he pictured. Moses is one of the major types of Christ in the Bible. If you, if you know how to study the Bible, know Bible study rules, there are major types of Christ in the Bible. Moses is one of them. And just, so just as Moses described himself in meek, as meek in Numbers 12, 3, Jesus said this of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek. And lowly in heart, you shall find rest under your souls. So, so listen to me for a second. The more that you are meek and lowly and faithful and trusting, the more you are like Christ. Particularly in the face of opposition. Particularly when others speak against your service to the Father. And the more you are like Christ, the more you invite God into your situation and to your defense, 
And here's another thing. The more you are like Christ, the less you are like Aaron and Miriam in this story. And I think I compared what they did to someone else earlier. And think what you want, but that comparison with Lucifer was not an over-exaggeration. There are two spirits at work, always. And there are two spirits at work in these type of situations. So if you find yourself in a situation like Moses, Aaron, and Miriam found themselves in, be sure you're being led by the right spirit. And you do that by checking your motives. Is it meekness or pride? Because when pride is your motive, and it's an important word I'm using there, I'll, I'll get there in a second. When pride is your motive, you'll see the third phrase that connects this point. And that third phrase is found in verse 9. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And as our second reality of rebellion states, Miriam and Aaron's rebellion turned God's attention, he heard it, to anger. His anger was kindled. He heard what they had to say, and he didn't like it. It angered him. And listen, when God was angered, there was always a response. Earlier I gave you the example of the prideful boasting of the Edomites. And God said he heard in Ezekiel 35, verses 12 and 13. Well, what, here's what the very next verse says, Ezekiel 35, verse 14. Thus saith the Lord God, when the whole earth, whole earth rejoiceth, I will make thee desolate. When the anger of the Lord is kindled, a strong response always follows. And usually, many times at least, it is immediate like we see in our text. But this is the point in the message where things get interesting, at, at least for me. With respect to Bible study, it got interesting. Because there are some of you out there that may be thinking, you know what? I've had people treat me like Miriam and Aaron, and Aaron treated Moses. I've been in that situation. And they've spoken against me. They've even spoken against my good and tried to turn it into something it wasn't. And I handled it correctly. I was meek, I was humble, I stayed faithful to the Lord, and yet they're still out there. And it doesn't look like God came down and talked to them. They're doing their thing, probably still speaking against me. What about that? Was God not angered? Because I don't think he's responded. Okay, this is where it gets interesting. I'm not sure I have all this figured out. But let me tell you what I know. So you gotta, you got to come in. you got to pay close attention here for these next few minutes. So we're going to do some Bible study. And I don't, we don't have time to do it all, but I'm, I'm going to give you the highlights as I know it. You ready? Oh, no? Nobody's ready. Okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So you might as well say yes. I'm not just going to skip it. You might as well, you know, humor me. All right, you're ready. All right, praise the Lord. Okay. So what we see here is a very particular phrase. The phrase is the anger of the Lord. That's what we see in verse 9. That phrase, the anger of the Lord, is found 32 times in the Bible. All 32 of them are located in the Old Testament. Okay, you can look up the references on your own. I won't bore you with the details. 
But what you find in the Old Testament is that God dealt with sins more abruptly and more publicly. That's why many people talk about the violent God of the Old Testament. That is because even though the sacrificial system of the law covered sins, those sins were not taken away. The book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 10, brings clarity to that issue. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 says, For not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And then down in verse 11, And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So sins were not completely dealt with until Calvary. So in the Old Testament, before Calvary, God handled things differently. There was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Sins were on man, certainly until the sacrifice occurred. And even then, those sins weren't taken away. They were just covered. They weren't taken away. They were just covered. So God dealt with things differently. And judgments oftentimes were made on the spot to deal with that sin very directly, very specifically. And yet Malachi 3.6 says the Lord changes not. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ the same yesterday today, and today and forever. You know, so what gives? Okay, well, there's a second and equivalent phrase that you find in the Bible. You have the anger of the Lord. The second phrase is the wrath of God. Anger of the Lord, wrath of God. The wrath of God is found ten times in the Bible. Only one of those ten is found in the Old Testament. The other nine are New Testament references. So this is where we dive a little deeper, all right? So catch your breath. We're going to go just a little bit deeper. As we just read in Hebrews 10, sin wasn't dealt with completely and finally until Calvary. It wasn't until the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son. You know, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus became sin for you and me. That's the sacrifice. And when he became sin, the wrath of God, not the anger of the Lord. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And this is what Jesus, we know this because this is what Jesus' prayer was about in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion. In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prayed that the Father would let this cup pass from him. And a study of that cup would show you that is God's wrath being poured out. That's why he said, nevertheless, not my will but thine. And it was, it was God's will. So we don't have time to prove all that for you, but if you want to do the study of the cup on your own, Psalm 75, 18, Jeremiah 25, 15, and Isaiah 51, 17 will get you started. All right, so you can do that on your own. So let me bring all this together. And I'm going to bring it together in a summary statement, and then I'll explain it a little further. Here's the summary statement. Jesus satisfied the anger of the Lord through the pouring out of the wrath of God at Calvary. And here's why I say that. Because God's anger was always kindled against sins. Anger was his response to sin. Well, all sins were paid for at Calvary. Past, present, future. All paid for. That anger was satisfied. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than 
being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So while you don't see the anger of the Lord after Calvary, because it's been satisfied, you still see the wrath of God. And that's because the wrath of God, wrath is part of who God is as a judge. Every time the word wrath is used in the New Testament, it's a noun. It's part of who God is as a judge. That's because, that's, that's because it's, it's part of him as that judge. And there is still judgment to come. Therefore, more wrath to come. For example, God will pour out more of his wrath as he judges the nation of Israel in the tribulation. You see that specifically in Revelation 15 and 16 through the vials, but other places as well. And there are those who didn't or won't accept the sacrifice of Jesus, so they have to pay for their own sin. Look at what John 3.36 says about that. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Okay, but then there are Christians whose sins have been paid for, but we still await the judgment seat of Christ. Part of what Numbers 12 pictures. We talked about that a little bit ago. And since our sins are paid for, what will be judged there? It's our motives. We know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's what was behind what we did. Was it pride? Or was it meekness? Was it spirit of antichrist? Or the Holy Spirit. And guess what? All of those judgments, the vials during the tribulation, eternal damnation for unbelievers, and the judgment seat of Christ for believers, all involve fire. And if you were to do a very quick search of wrath and fire, you would find that they are linked together. But, this is where, this, this is again where things still are a little confusing. Because as believers, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.9, we are not appointed under wrath. And yet, the judgment seat of Christ is called the terror of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5.11. 1 Corinthians 3.15 says there will be those that suffer loss. Speaking of judgment in general, Hebrews 10 verses 30 and 31 says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So how do we make sense of all of this? Well, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> but, but here's, that, here's what I understand as I understand it. Like I've, like I've said, the anger of the Lord, anger, God's anger was a response to sin. That's his response. It's not, God is not angry. I mean, there's righteous anger, but it was always a response to sin. Well, sins were paid for at Calvary. But the wrath of God is not done. And God's wrath will show up at every single judgment, including the judgment seat of Christ. But at the judgment seat of Christ, God's wrath won't be poured out on the person. We are not appointed under wrath like it is poured out on the people in every other judgment. Instead, God's wrath will be poured out on your works. And God's wrath, by fire, will reveal all. 
So back to the original question. What about those of us who live in this dispensation of grace? And it seems like our enemies are getting away with the same stuff Aaron and Miriam got called out on. Is God not angered? Well, I actually think the doctrinal answer to that question is no. That's just me. His anger has been satisfied. You know, I, I talked about how the anger of the Lord was found 32 times in the Old Testament. The word anger by itself is found 234 times in the Bible. All but five are in the Old Testament. And of those five, zero speak of God's anger. One time in the book of Mark, it said Jesus was angry before Calvary. The word angry is found 44 times in the Bible. Only seven of those are in the New Testament. Zero are with respect to God's anger. Nearly every time you see anger or angry in the Old Testament is in a list of things we shouldn't be. So doctrinally, when this happens to you, I don't believe God is angered. But those people will still have to deal with the wrath of God at judgment. So the answer is hang on. God has heard and God will respond. Pay attention to the words of Romans 12, 19. is a, a verse the author of Hebrews quoted in Hebrews 10, 30. We read just a, just a minute ago. It, it's also found, the original quotes, Deuteronomy 32, 35. But Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Again, Romans 12, doctrine of the Christian, church-age epistle. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto what? Wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So don't mistake God's long-suffering for a lack of care or concern. 1 Timothy 5.24 says, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. Some men they follow after. Sometimes you see the consequences of actions immediately, like Miriam and Aaron. But even if you don't, it doesn't mean they're not coming. Wrath still awaits via the great white throne judgment for unbelievers or the judgment seat of Christ for believers. And God's wrath will reveal all and the truth will be known. So hang on. And I get that what I just said brings the wording of my second point into question just a little bit. <laughs> but it's pulled from the text and it's just applied a little differently to us today. So I hope that made sense. If it didn't, I apologize. You can go back and study it on your own later if it interests you. Uh, but I have one more point. Don't worry, it won't be near as deep. It'll be quick. We've seen the rebellion turns your disagreement into distrust. It turns God's attention into anger. And the last reality of rebellion is that rebellion turns God's departing into your delay. Starting in verse 9 again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed. And a cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not until Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people were moved from Hazaroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. So the sin of Aaron and Miriam caused God to depart. He left. 
And they were left to deal with the judgment that was put on Miriam. And that judgment was leprosy. And you may wonder, why only Miriam and not Aaron? Well, I, I, I'm not 100% sure the Bible doesn't say, but I think the obvious answer is that she was the ringleader. God is not a respecter of persons. So he obviously viewed what she did as worse than what Aaron did. So she got leprosy. And leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. It was an inward disease that manifested itself on the outside of a person. It was an incurable and fatal disease, and yet Jesus could heal it, and he did. You can see the details of that picture in Leviticus 13 and 14. So the sin had to be dealt with, and what's ironic is that Aaron was supposed to be the one to deal with it. But he was involved in the sin, so he couldn't. He had to go to Moses. Leviticus 13, verses 1 and 2 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or a bright spot, and it be the skin of his flesh, like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought into Aaron the priest, or unto one of, the sons, one of his sons the priest. Aaron was supposed to be the one to deal with it, but he couldn't because he was in the middle of it. And Aaron had to feel so ashamed that he couldn't fulfill his role as priest. And on top of that, he had to crawl back to Moses, the guy they were speaking against, to help save Miriam's life. And Moses did it. It just shows you how special he was. He didn't even complain or rub it in a little. I mean, I'm not sure that I could have prayed that prayer for God to heal her, but if I had, you can rest assured it wouldn't have been the only thing I said. Listen, i got to keep working on being more like Moses, I'm telling you. But Moses prayed for God to heal her, and God answered her, his prayer. But God said that she still had to stay outside the camp for seven days. She needed to be made an example so everyone could learn from her and Aaron's mistake. Miriam lived out the result of not obeying Psalm 105, verse 15, where God says, saying, touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. But through living that out, and through God's departing, it caused the children of Israel to be delayed in their journey. Verse 15, and Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And listen, it caused Miriam great personal delay in what she was able to accomplish for the Lord, because we never hear from her again. After Numbers 12, 15, the very next mention of Miriam is found in Numbers 20, verse 1, which says, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation under the desert of Zin, in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. I don't know what happened to Miriam after her leprosy, because the Bible doesn't say, but that's exactly the point. The Bible says nothing. It's like she was put on a shelf. And that is always the thing about sin. It will always cause God to depart and you to delay and if not dealt with. God will put you on a shelf. Now, unlike Miriam, in this dispensation, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you are saved by placing your faith in Jesus for eternal life, then God the Holy Spirit is inside you and will never leave. You are eternally saved. But sin breaks fellowship with God. So in that way, it is a departure from the intimacy that God intends to have with you. Sin breaks that fellowship and you depart from the intimacy that God desires to have. 
And that departure delays your spiritual growth. It delays the impact you can have for the Lord. It affects those around you. All of Israel was, was delayed because of her. And if it goes on long enough, you just never recover. Because rebellion is a serious thing. And God deals with it as such. But praise the Lord, there is an answer. Now, we don't, we don't see it from Miriam. But we catch a glimpse of it with Aaron in verse 11. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. He called it what it was, sin. He admitted it, the mistake. And what we would call that today is repentance. So the answer to rebellion is repentance. Stop doing wrong. Turn the other direction. Change. Change your heart. Change your actions. Get right with the Lord. Get right with those you've wronged. Because repentance does fix the problem. Because here's the beauty of repentance. Repentance turns your distrust into dependence. Because when you repent, you start depending on the Lord again. And you see Him differently, and you see His provision and sufficiency in entirely new ways. But not only that, repentance turns God's anger into acceptance. Because God accepts you back into fellowship with Him. And you can reestablish that intimacy that you lost in the rebellion. And then repentance turns your delay into God's deliverance. Because God delivers you out of all the junk that had you stuck and going nowhere for the Lord. And it places you on firm footing with a plan to glorify Him with your life. That's how good God is. That's exactly what Moses pictured in this passage. He prayed for Miriam. And God answered that prayer. But you will only see that fruit through repentance. So as we close, let me ask you one question. Which adjective better describes you, meek or prideful? Distrustful or faithful? And I challenge you to honestly answer that question for yourself and before the Lord. And I'm going to pray, and the praise team is going to come back up. We're going to close out with one final song.